0: marriage series. We love doing it every year. My wife and I look forward to it. We always do something to, uh, to discuss our marriage and say, all right, where are we in our marriage? And we refocus at one point in time in the year. And I love doing this series because this is your opportunity to join us in that journey and, uh, and to talk about that. And of course, though, if you're not married or you're single and you want to be married or you're married and you don't want to be married or wherever you're at in that whole spectrum there, uh, there is something for you in this whole series, and there'll be something for you today as well. But, but it's been great. One of the products of, of doing the, uh, or one of the things I try to do in the marriage series is to be very transparent about my struggles and about my, my relationship with my wife. And what that leads to is some very hilarious situations when your congregation finds out that you like things just so. And... Um, <laughs> Let me tell you, I've come in several times and these chairs have been flipped around facing that direction and uh, they've even gone so far, you hilarious people, have gone so far as to take a coin and glue it to the ground out here, right outside where I park my car. Uh, Because one Sunday morning there was a coin on the ground and I stepped off and picked it up and everybody realized that I like to pick up coins as well. And so now there are coins around the property, multiple around the property, that are glued to the ground. I did find the ones that they glued to the floor in my bathroom, and I got those up already. <laughs> so I just have not, have not had the time to get around the rest of the building and get those ones. But, uh, but it's been great. And so that, that's the product of being transparent, and I love it, and thank you all for, for having so much fun. Uh, the only problem I have with the coins is they, they like, use quarters. Like, that just breaks my heart. <laughs> quarters. What if I don't ever give it up? It's going to be stuck there on the floor, haunting me. But we're talking about this, and the series is called Fixing Us because marriage is super tough. It is one of the more difficult relationships that you will have because it is a lifelong relationship. There are relationships that we do have, friendships and things that, man, we can get to a part where we decide, you know what, we're just gonna kind of part ways, but marriage is not one of those. Marriage, we made a covenant relationship. That's a commitment before God that we will love this person for better or worse in sickness and health till the day that they die or she kills you first. You know what I'm saying? And so, so we, we've, we've said that, and, and we, when we get to our, our wedding vows, but on this side of our wedding vows, before we get there, we feel like everything is bliss. It is wonderful, and we get to those wedding vows, and then we, we say those things to each other, in sickness and health, for better or worse, because we never think they're going to get sick. We never think things are going to get worse. But the truth is, things always get worse. They always get worse. You say, Aaron, that's not very encouraging. I'm sorry, it's the truth. And all the married couples said, there are times that it is difficult, and marriage can be very, very painful. And, and I think the problem is, a lot of us, we enter into our marriages, we don't have the proper tools for dealing with that pain that comes as a result of the relationship. Because you can't insulate yourself against pain in marriage. But what you can do is learn to respond to it in a healthy way. So we're we're trying to give you those tools. My hope is is that through this series is that you would learn to recapture some of that love that you first had when you started dating. That love that brought you to the wedding chapel. That love that brought you to that monumental day where you said, I do. We want you to capture some of that magic from when you first fell in love. Because honestly, nobody walks into a marriage relationship and says, you know what, 10 years from now, Your health is gonna change. You're gonna look different. We're probably gonna wind up hating each other. The kids are gonna overcomplicate our situation. We're gonna be miserable. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Let's sign me up for marriage. Nobody walks into marriage thinking that, and yet we wind up there. Our marriages wind up in trouble. There's trouble in paradise, and we don't know what to do because we don't have the proper tools. To deal with them, And so that's what we've been talking about. The last couple weeks we talked about one of the ways that we can deal with the trouble in our marriage is by making sure that we love each other unconditionally. And in order to do that, we decided that we needed to do this thing called agape each other. That's this unconditional love where you give and expect nothing in return, which is an impossible thing to do. But God is the God of the impossible, and so it's impossible to do without God. And so we decided we needed to experience God's love in our life and experience that agape love from him to us before we can give it to someone else. The second week we talked about what happens when you introduce children into the mix. They can complicate things in ways that are beautiful and tragic. And what we have to do is because the marriage came together over that relationship, that priority relationship between husband and wife, and we talked about making sure that relationship remains a priority, even over your relationship with the kids. And so this week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what we can do to fix the rest of the issues, because we need to own what is our fault and what's causing us to be broken we need to own what those issues are because oftentimes what happens in a marriage series is or when you're reading when, with a series like this or you decide to read a book together or you go to counseling, you're sitting there next to your spouse and you're doing this the whole time. You're nudging them, right? You hear that? Or if they're not there, you're taking notes and you want to go home and you make sure you show them. You see what he said? You see this right here? This is what he was talking about you today. And everything is for them. And while you may be right, 80% of the issues in your marriage may be on them, there is 20% that is on you. And so what I want to ask you to do today is to begin to focus on those 20, that 20%, because you can't control them. What you can do is control yourself, and so it's important that you decide, what it is that I can own? The last week, we ended with this verse from Ezekiel 36, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from, your heart of, uh, remove from you your heart of stones. So what is God talking about? In our relationships, we tend to get wounded. Because we're imperfect people chasing after a perfect God, we are imperfect together and we have a tendency to sin against each other. We have a tendency to make mistakes. We sin against ourselves. We sin against our spouse. We sin against our kids, our our friends. We sin against each other. And when we do, it creates those wounds in our lives. and, And those wounds left unintended to cause us to harden our hearts and our love grows cold. And so God's saying, I'm going to take that heart of stone from you. And he said, continues on, he says, and I will give you a heart of flesh, a heart that is soft towards one another. Because when your heart is soft and moldable and pliable towards each other, flexible, you can begin to work on your issues again. You can begin to forgive. You can begin to have grace and mercy for one another and begin to deal with those issues. And then he continues on and says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. When we build up those walls as a result of that pain in our hearts and lives, we are not living out God's best for us. It is not his desire or his design that when we are hurt, to seclude ourselves. The truth is, is you will never find healing until you tear down those walls and open yourself back up to relationship. That is the only place that healing is found. It's the way God intended it, was to be found in relationship. But when we get hurt, we want to hide ourselves. We hurt. We, we want to hold that hurt. If you've ever broken your arm before, it's like the worst pain in the world, and you just kind of hold on to it. The doctor's like, let me see it. and You're like, no, you're going to hurt me. Let me see it. I can't fix it unless you let me see it. No. You've got to open yourself up. You've got to tear down those walls so those wounds can be healed. Otherwise, your heart becomes stone. We have to learn to pray and ask God to give us a soft heart. So allow him to begin to do his work in us so that we can learn to respond differently to pain. So what I want to do is I want to give you a few things that will give you a heart check, okay? I want to ask you a few questions that will let you know, is my heart in the right place? Is my heart being impacted by God? Or is it stone cold? Do I have a soft heart where I can begin to actually work through these things, these situations in our relationships? Am I hardened by hurt? So here's a few questions that we'll walk through to let you know. If you answer yes to these questions, if you can answer yes all the way through, then your heart is ready to embrace what God wants to do in your life. If the answer is no, then you know where you can begin to pray. The first question is, am I willing to change? Am I willing to change? If you are inflexible or rigid in your marriage relationship, it can flat out ruin it. If you say, no, I'm not going to do that, I won't go there, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to say I'm sorry, I'm not going to seek forgiveness, I'm not going to do that, that thing that they want from me or need from me, I'm not going to do it. If you remain rigid and inflexible, you will ruin your relationship. Being unwilling to change and having a heart of stone against those things will cause your marriage to fall apart. True success in marriage means compromise, As guys, we kind of learned this because before a woman came along in your relationship and before you got married, you thought the only channel on TV was ESPN. You know what I'm saying? That's the only thing. The only type of movie out there was action flicks and epic adventures, right? And then she comes along and she introduces you to romantic comedies and the things that she likes to watch and a whole new world appears before you. Like, I didn't even know we had those TV stations. I didn't know this genre of movie existed. When we introduce kids into the relationship, guys, we have to lift that ban on how much poop we're willing to get involved with. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, I'm not doing that. Look, if you leave that ban in place, you are going to have some difficulty in your marriage. But when we reach that point of inflexibility, the relationship shuts down and can't go any further. You cannot move forward in your relationship. My wife, she asked me just a few weeks ago. And I'm guilty of being inflexible. I'm guilty of wanting my own way. She asked me a few weeks ago, she's like, babe, do you want to go to this movie with me? And she, it was this comedy, it had Will Ferrell in it. I'm not even a Will Ferrell fan. Like, sorry, Will Ferrell, if you're listening to this and now you're not going to fall in love with Jesus because I don't like your movies, but <laughs> I do apologize. It's possible he's watching or listening. But I just, I, I'm just not a fan. She's like, do you want to go to this movie with me? And I said, no, no, I'm out. And you should have seen her, she was so downcast, she was like, all right, I guess it's fine. I was being inflexible. I realized it really quick, though, see, because I'm hip to these things now, and I said, oh, and I played it off, this is how I played it off, you ready for this, guys, take note. As soon as you realize you're being a jerk, just take note, you can flip this, okay? I said, you know, I'm only saying no, because you asked me, did I want to go? The answer is, no, I don't want to go, but if you want me to go, then I'll go with you. You just asked the wrong question, I answered you literally, you want to ask again? And she said, will you go to the movie with me? I said, yes, I will, baby, because I love you that much. See, I saved that crap. I saved it. Come on. Yeah. And we went to that stupid movie. But we can't be inflexible in our relationships. There has to be some give and some take. There have to be compromises made along the way. Sometimes you're going to have to watch a movie that you don't want to watch. Sometimes you're going to have to do chores that you aren't prepared to, nor do you want to do. You're going to have to do things in your relationship that you're not ready for. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 18, 3. He said, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me can break it down for you what that means. See, this kingdom of heaven, we think it's this palace, right? Kingdom of heaven, when you see this appear in scripture, it's referring to God's way of doing things. You can just replace that little phrase, kingdom of heaven, with God's way of doing things. You will never enter into God's way of doing things unless you become like a little child. Unless you change and become like a little child. Why does he say like a little child? Well, kids, man, kids love change. They thrive in environments where things are constantly changing. In fact, if you were to hold a kid's attention watching a TV show, do you know that they have to change what's going on in the screen every seven seconds or you will lose their attention? Every seven seconds. The camera angle needs to change. It cannot just be a dead set camera angle that doesn't move. A child loses interest. They thrive in new environments and learning new things, meeting new people. They love it. Kids are open and receptive to change. And so he says, we have to be like little kids. We have to be receptive and open to change. We cannot be rigid about change. We have to embrace the heart of a child that is willing to change. The second question is, am I willing to put you first? A great marriage is two people obsessed with meeting each other's needs. Oh, you can write that one down. A great marriage is two people obsessed with meeting each other's needs. They care or are more concerned about meeting each other's needs than they are getting their own needs met and are you willing the real question is, is are you willing to continue to meet their needs when your needs are not being met are you willing to do that because a lot of us we clam up we go well she's not going to do that for me i'm not going to do that for her i'll just show her we'll fix her causing pain in my life i'll cause pain in hers well congratulations you have just wound up in a whole lot of trouble but can you love them can you meet their needs without yours being met mark nine thirty five says if anyone wants to be first He must be the very last and servant of all. The best result is is a marriage that serves each other's needs. Ladies, if you don't know what a guy's greatest need is, let me tell you what it is. It's to be honored and respected. That's a guy's greatest need. A guy will slide down a hill of razor blades into a pool of lemon juice just to get to the bottom and have someone say, You're the man. In fact, he'll do that, and he'll run back up the hill and do it again, just so you'll say it again. Guys are looking to be respected. They are looking to be in environments where people uh, admire them and call out their qualities and say, man, you're great. Who doesn't like that? We love those environments. And so, uh, and and ladies, I know what your pushback here is. You're like, man, if I tell him he's great, if I tell him how awesome he is, do you realize how big his head is going to be? Like, it's going to snap his neck. I'm the only one in his life keeping him humble. But you, but you need to make sure that you, you, you let him know what you think of him. A woman's greatest need, if you guys, if you don't know what it is, her greatest need is for security. She needs to feel valued and protected by you. Now, I know what the guy's pushback here is. If I let her know that she's right, if I let her be in control, if I, if I give her that kind of praise and say, baby, you are right, and let her, let her have those reins and let her know how much I value her, if I do that, well, then, I, then I'm going to be in trouble. Like, I can't do that. She's going to be running everything in my life. Guys, pay attention. She's already right, and she's already running your life anyway. So just go ahead and let her know how much you appreciate the fact that she's running your life. Value her and protect her. Come on, guys, you know it's true. We don't want to say it's true, but it is. You need to let her know how much you value that. So we need to meet, our needs, meet needs before our needs are being met. When we do this, it's an indication of a soft heart and that we will put them first. The next question is, am I willing to let go of the past? Oh, this is the one we all hate. This is the one we we don't want to do. Because if I let go of that, then I've got nothing to hold over their head. I've got nothing to control them with. We have to be willing to let go of the past. The truth in life is that marriage equals pain. Your spouse will sin against you. You will sin against your spouse. And when that happens, we have a tendency to keep a record of those wounds, don't we? We write them down and say, but you did this, or this is how you hurt me here. And as a result of that list, that proof, we draw boundaries, and our spouse has to honor those. We draw all those boundaries so it keeps us safe, and we keep record of the wrongs that, we've, that, you, that they've done to us. But 1 Corinthians thirteen five describes love and says that love... Keeps no record of wrongs. That's not what love is. You can't stay in your relationship and be a history major constantly bringing up the past. Now here's what I'm not talking about. If you're in an abusive relationship, I'm not talking about remaining in that relationship. My encouragement to you is that you reach out and call out for help. But what I am saying is that in the normal course of marriage, people will sin against each other. And when they do, We cannot keep a list of the wrongs. In in other words, it is our responsibility to forgive them. To forgive them of the sin that they have committed against us. What an incredible opportunity we have to honor them and to cover them in this way. And marriage is that primary environment where we get to demonstrate and be Jesus regularly to someone all the time. All the time. You get to demonstrate his love to one another all the time because somebody's going to sin against you and you need to forgive them. All the time. Every day. It's just going to happen. We don't mean to. It's just what we do. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. There's no like clause in there that says, unless they do this. It says, whatever grievances. Whatever it is you're upset about, give it the Elsa treatment and let it go, let it go. Can't hold back anymore. But let it go. Whatever grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So how did God forgive you? Let me tell you what God did for you. God forgave every single one of your sins since you have been placed on this earth till right now, and even the sins that you will commit today, tomorrow, and in the future. His grace and his mercy is sufficient for you. He will forgive you as long as you are willing to confess your sins and ask him for forgiveness. It's yours. It's yours and he did that through Christ and what the Bible describes is a blotting out of your sins. A wiping it clean is what God did for you through Christ. He forgave all of your sins, not just specific ones. He forgave them all. And so, the level of forgiveness that we are called to in our marriages is to forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ooh, that's tough. Man, we don't want to do that. We want to keep a record of what they said in 1980 or what they did in 1990. And keeping that record just keeps that Cold War going in your heart. The big question is, is can I really love like Jesus? Can I really love them in the way that I'm called to? Am I willing to love as Jesus did? John 13, 34, this is Jesus speaking. He says, a new command I give you, love, that's that word, that Greek word, agape. It's translated from, from, from agape. That's an unconditional love. So agape, or unconditionally love one another as I have unconditionally loved you. So you must unconditionally love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you unconditionally love one another. How many times does he have to say it for us to get it? We have to love one another unconditionally. A Marriage is one of those things that was created by God, and since he created it, it's done best when we do it his way. When we do, we create the perfect model of what Christ did for us. When we love each other in the way that he loved us, we create a model that the world can look at and say, man, there is something different about them. The way that they love each other is different, and I want that. I want to know what that's about. But the problem is, is we don't embrace God's way. We're not bad people. We're not horrible. We just, we don't do things God's way. We do them our way. We're selfish. And what happens is, is our marriages oftentimes look like the world. Because the, you know what the divorce rate is in the world? 50%. You know what the divorce rate is in the church? 50%. Why? Because we're not embracing God's ways. We're not embracing what what God is asking us to do. But if we embrace what he's asked us to do, we become what we call around here the shiny. We become those people that others will look at and say there's something different about you and you'll say yes there is. We embrace biblical principles in our lives and you can introduce them to Jesus who has impacted your life. That's our call, that's the greatest Thing we get to do. People will turn to God as a result. So we need to be impacted by God's love in order to show it. We need to prioritize our relationships, even over our kids. And then we need to take ownership for our own hearts. But where do we go from here? Well, today, well, I'd like to wrap up this series of talking about one of the things that I share in our premarital sessions. Whenever you come to me and say, I want to get married, we're going to talk about communication. But one of the number one issues that people struggle with in their marriage today is a subject of conflict. They don't know how to handle conflict. And oftentimes, they come to me and they're like, can we talk because he's just got to know that this is the way it is, or she's doing this and just won't stop, and what they want to do is approach conflict so that they can win. And let me tell you, that's not how the Bible tells us to approach conflict. And so I'm going to give you a few points that will help you, I hope, in your marriage to deal with conflict, because conflict is essentially the result of our, our selfish desires. I want this, she wants that, and we clash. The conflict happens. And the way we handle conflict will determine our futures in our marriages. And so I'm going to be really honest with you. A lot of the things I'm getting ready to share with you are not going to be new things to you. You will have heard them before. But I will say this. The things that you're going to hear are things that we don't do. We don't do them. In fact, I would say that the church today, the current, status, or, or, uh, the current state of the church is that we are educated far beyond our level of obedience we hear God's word and then we walk away and are not doers of it but the Bible tells us to be doers of it not just hearers of it only so my challenge to you is this week is to hear something and to make a plan to put it in place because the things that you want to do you make a plan for it if there's a TV show you want to watch you make a plan for it if there's a place you want to go or an activity you want to do some of it you are even thinking about lunch right now and you're already making a plan for it so my challenge to you is to make a plan to do some of the things that we're going to talk about here as we close out today. And the help that, that I'll offer you comes from James 1.19. And let me say this, this, is, this will be beneficial for you whether you are in a marriage relationship or not. This will help you in any social circle, any relationship that you're in, be it on the job, at home, at church, wherever you find yourself, you can learn to deal with conflict in healthy ways it comes right from James 1.19. It says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So what's the first thing? He says, be quick to listen. What does this mean? It means to pay attention. Be the one to be quick to pay attention to what is going on. There is this crazy little invention that has crept into all of our lives called technology, And it is destroying our relationships. I did an entire series on it back in December called The Struggle is Real. If you missed that, go listen to it if you want to hear more. But in a little nutshell, let me just say this. Technology is destroying our relationships because because we are so engaged in it, we are never present in any of our relationships. Or we can be there, but here's what we're doing the entire time we're sitting there looking at when we should be talking to each other. We're scrolling. We're looking at our emails. We're reading our text messages. We're looking at our social media. We're checking out sports scores. We're scrolling. We're connected but disconnected. We're connected to the world. We're connected to things that don't matter. And we're disconnected from those around us that do love us. In fact, right now, it is likely that you are sitting next to somebody who is disconnected, who is doing this. Look to your right and to your left, and if you see somebody playing on their phone, just nudge them and say, hey, pay attention. Because I'm going to drop some truth on you that you need to hear right now, okay? I'm gonna share this with you because here's the thing. I find it impossible to have a conversation with my wife while I'm watching TV. If she walks into a room and I'm watching TV, I will pause or turn the TV off because I cannot pay attention to what she's saying when she's talking to me. I spent years going through personal pain and anguish, feeling like I could continue to play a video game or watch TV and still have a conversation at the same time. Oh, I heard everything she said, and I can say it back to her, but I couldn't tell her what it meant because I'm not paying attention. I'm not actually listening for the details. I'm not trying to understand what she's saying. In fact, if if I walk up to you, and you and I are having a conversation, and you kind of dip out, and you start playing on your technology... I'll do, I'll do one of these things I learned to do as a magician as I've performed throughout the years that the kids start screaming and yelling. I'll just stop. And they'll look up at me and I'm just standing there. i said no, no, I'll wait. Go ahead. Do what you're going to do. Just know you're killing your time. Or it is quite possible that I'll just walk away from the conversation because I, I don't need to waste my time saying something to half of your consciousness. Like, I love you. That's just how I'm flawed. I'm just telling you. I'm being honest with you, Okay if you're going to sit there and do this while you're talking to me, I'm just going to shut down or I'll walk away because you're not listening to me. You're you're completely disengaged with me and only halfway listening. Truth is, the world won't end if you turn your phone off. It's not going to end if you don't check that ding or that message or that notification that is coming through to you. The world is not going to stop. And I don't mean to scare you, but did you know that we, there was a time in our lives when we didn't have those phones and those devices? Well, I don't know if some of you can remember back to what life is like then. It was a lot simpler, man. We had to actually talk to people face to face. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. you old enough like I am. You know what I mean? That's, that, was, that was how we, we build relationships. And now it's not. In fact, Jesus, he turned the entire world upside down without a cell phone. He did it. I mean, can you see him texting Peter? Hey, Peter, where you at with those fish, you know? Like, he turned the entire world upside down, didn't have any of that technology. What he had was people, the most valuable currency in this world. He had people. And if you didn't know this, now you do. People existed before phones. that thing that you are spending so much time with, don't miss this, because some of your marriages are in trouble right now and you're not even aware because you are so disconnected. Are you listening? That little thing that you are pouring so much time into will never love you back. There is somebody sitting right in front of you who is waiting on you and their greatest need is not for money, it's not for, it's not for, for, for gifts or presents or stuff, it is you. And you are disconnected because you are lost in a world that will never love you back. Put your phones down. You say, Aaron, are you mad at me? No, I'm just trying to help your marriage. I just love you. I'm your pastor. That's why I'm telling you this. Because some of you truly are in trouble and you don't even know it. Here's a test. If you're bold enough, ask your spouse. Am I on this too much? They'll tell you. They already know. So we need to pay attention. There's a man whose wife was getting dressed, and it was her birthday the next day. And she's great getting dressed and looking at herself in the mirror. And he says, baby, I want to make your birthday really great this year. What what do you want for your birthday? Anything you want. She says, I think I'd like to be six again. So the man thought down, and he wrote out a list. He's like, this is going to be great. The next morning, he woke her up with a bowl of Lucky Charms and a cup of orange juice. And after breakfast, he took her off to Cedar Point, and they rode roller coasters, and he stuffed cotton candy and fair food down her throat all day long. When they were done there, they went to McDonald's, and he got her a Happy Meal and an ice cream cone. And then they went to a movie and got popcorn. And he took her home, and his wife is very confused about this day of events that she has just experienced for her birthday. And he says, baby, what would it feel like to be six again? She said, oh, that explains everything. She said, I said I would like to be a 6. I meant my dress size. <laughs> Moral of the story is, is that even when guys aren't, are listening, we're not paying attention. I'd like to be a 6, not 6. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. You're in that danger zone when she looks at you and says, are you listening to me? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, better pay attention. We have to pay attention to what's going on? Proverbs 10:19 says, "When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. In resolving conflict, we need to be quick to listen, and pay attention. Second thing James tells us to do is to be slow to speak. What does this mean? It means to seek to understand. Slow to speak. Seek to understand. Because let me be clear that seeking to be understood is not the same as seeking to understand. In a conflict and in your relationship, oftentimes we spend time trying to be understood. We want them to understand us, right? If I can just get her to understand my point of view, then she'll do what I want. Well, if I can just get him to understand that this is the way it is for me. I was in relationship with a guy for four years. I worked with him. And I watched as relationship professional and personal, he burned one after another because his phrase on a regular basis was, if I can just get you to understand, all that leads to is brokenness in your relationship because and I need you to understand me, it's an inward focus. But when I seek to understand you, it's an outward focus. This is me serving you. It's very different. Very different. Getting them to understand me the reason we do that is because we want to win the argument. We want to win whatever it is. No, no, if she can see things my way, then I'll be right. The problem is, is when you have an argument and there is a winner, both of you, congratulations, are losers. Because nobody wins an argument. Nobody wins an argument. It's, it's not a healthy thing. It's not God's best for you. But when you seek to understand, what it does is it creates common ground in your marriage. When you understand her, fellas... It creates something in you called empathy. You can begin to empathize and understand her world and understand the way she's communicating and understand what she's saying. Actually, we may never understand what she's saying, but we can understand what she's communicating, right? We need to gain their point of view. And what happens when we gain their point of view is it creates this space in our marriages for grace and for mercy and forgiveness. So we have to stop listening to what they're saying and listen to what they are communicating. The problem is, is that we listen through very gender-specific uh, uh, filters, don't we? Guys talk a certain way and girls talk a certain way. We don't quite understand each other. When she's talking to you guys, you're like, I, I just, I can't even begin to understand what she's saying. But what you can do is during those conversations is use the words that you are going to use Instead of interjecting, instead of being frustrated, instead of inserting what you think, you can use your words to ask questions to clarify. What is she talking about? What does she mean? What's her intent? Because if you're sitting there and you don't understand, you can seek understanding. Because the way we talk to each other, we may be saying something valid, but it's just not in a way that we understand. Proverbs 29, 20 says, there is more hope for a fool than for someone who speaks without thinking. In conversation, you need to first gather information before you speak. You need to understand because if you don't, you interject into that conversation or into that conflict without understanding and what happens is it begins to escalate the conflict. Right? It takes it to an unhealthy place because when you escalate the conflict, when when you and I aren't talking the same language, when I don't understand you and you're not taking time to understand me, everything just gets heightened, right? And that's the next part of the verse. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He says, hey, guard your emotions. Guard your emotions. Don't insert emotions into this conflict because the second you do, everything gets heightened. Everything gets out of control. It's very easy in conflict to get emotional. But the second you do that, no progress can be made. Because what happens? You get angry. You get blinded by your anger. You forget that you love this person. You forget what the conflict was even about in the first place. And you start talking about things that are not even related. You get emotional. You get angry. And it's, it's totally, totally understandable for you to be hurt or to be angry when you're hurt, to become emotional in this way. But what happens when you insert emotion into conflict is that you have a tendency to criticize people. And when you criticize somebody, you're pointing a finger of attack at them. And then they, in turn, get emotional. And the thing just continues to escalate. No resolve. To the point somebody's slamming doors or walking out or shut down. There's no progress made in the conflict. I'm going to be really, really honest with you about one of my conflicts in my relationship. And it was over potato chips. Now, look, I'm going to share this. I'm going to tell you this conflict over potato chips and I'm going to let you know that as trivial as this is you're going to think that's ridiculous there is something just as trivial in your relationship that may not be potato chips that you have conflict in your relationship about a few years ago my wife she goes grocery shopping and the potato chips she likes are these lay's baked potato chips I can't stand them give me something fried I want it and salty I want, that's how I want my potato chips. You know what I'm talking about? It's good stuff. She wasn't buying those potato chips. She'd come home and she always had the Lay's baked potato chips. And I'd open that cabinet up or I'd make a sandwich and there was was no chips for me. And I kinda got upset about that. And it made me feel like she wasn't thinking of me, which led me to feel like she didn't love me over potato chips. Now that you know where I'm going, some of you identify in your potato chips in your life, aren't you? Well, when you don't do this, it makes me feel this way. And instead of saying those words, what we do is, you don't love me, you didn't buy me potato chips. Which is an attack. And that's how I felt. And I was thankful she wasn't home, because I probably would have said those words. She wasn't home. So I thought about it some more, and when she came home, I, I said, babe, I, I know you love me. This is not a question of how you feel about me, but when you come back and you've got baked lays, you, you know I like the regular ones. Do you remember this conversation? She said, you know I love the regular ones. And when the regular ones are here, you eat them. That's probably why she wasn't buying the regular ones, because the baked ones are a little healthier for you. I said, when you, when you don't buy those, it makes me feel like you don't think about me. And when I feel that way, it makes me feel like you, you don't love me. That's a very different approach. I got the same thing out that I needed to get out, but one was not accusatory. One was like, when you do this, it makes me feel this way. That's a healthier way to deal with conflict because it removes the emotion from it. It diffuses it completely. And you know how she responded? Babe, I, I'm sorry. I thought we were trying to do things healthier, and I was just, just trying to help you. I'll buy you regular potato chips. She started buying me regular potato chips. And she don't buy them no more because we really are trying to fix that. And now I know she loves me at the lack of potato chips in the cabinet. There are healthier ways to approach our conflict, folks. We can assume the best about somebody, and when we do, it diffuses that emotion. We need to be able to verbalize our unmet needs with without criticism, because that's healthy. That's God's best for us. But if you choose criticism, what you'll do is destroy in five seconds what it takes years to build. In, Prover- or, excuse me, in uh, James 3, 5, it says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Look, some of you are creating hell in your life because you are using loose words. Because you just say things. You get angry, you get emotional, and you just say whatever comes to your mind. And you are doing far more damage than you can ever realize because once something is said, you can't take it back. Once you call him or her that name, it's done. Now you have the years of rebuilding because you've chosen to use loose speech. It's hard to get over. The Bible describes... The tongue is having life and death, the power of it. You can speak life over your spouse or you can speak death to that relationship. It's up to you. Resolving conflict takes being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And the last thing we need to do is believe and speak the best. Look, it is our responsibility to release the potential in each other's lives. That's our job. Guys, let me say something to you that I heard this week that'll just maybe shake you to the core because it did me. Your wife is a reflection of your character. Think about that. If she is mean or vicious or hurt, she is a representation of how you have expressed your love to her. She's a reflection of you. That's why it's our responsibility to tell her that we love her. It's our responsibility to tell her how beautiful she is. It's our responsibility to tell her what we think of her and how much we adore her. Her influence and impact in our lives to make her feel secure. That's our responsibility. She's a reflection of us. Ladies, it's the same for you. If you want your guy to be weak, if you want him to feel like a failure, then don't tell him what you think of him. Don't tell him that you're proud of him. He's a reflection of your character as well. Proverbs fifteen four says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. It's our responsibility to speak the best about our spouse, to speak healing into their lives. But you can't speak that if you don't believe them about that. The Bible says, Out of the abundance of the heart does the man speak. That's out of your belief about that person. So we need to believe the best about them before we can even speak the best about them. And here's the problem is the devil will accuse your spouse to you. He will come along and tell you, look at what he's doing, look at what she's not doing. You're missing this in your relationship. They've got it, why don't you got it? He will accuse your spouse to you and make you feel like you've got the raw deal, like the grass is greener on the other side somewhere. And it's simply not true. He will trick you into throwing away a relationship where 80% of your needs are met because 20% are not. And that's a shame. Our focus can't be on what we don't don't have in our relationship. We need to focus on the best. This is the last verse that I'm closing. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Even if it's just one quality, folks, we need to speak to that one quality in our spouse. That one thing that we see that we can praise, that we can lift up before them and tell them, I love this about you. And we can have God's best in our relationships, but we need to do things his way. We need to make a plan to do it his way. Otherwise, we're just doing it on our own strength. And you know where that winds up. It leads you into trouble. If you'd like to see your marriage get fixed, choose to do things God's way. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for the marriages that are represented in this room and the relationships that are represented in this room. Lord, we need your help. Father, I pray that if their heart has been hardened because they've been hurt, Lord, that you would give them a heart that is willing to change, a heart that is soft and pliable, one that is flexible. Lord, I pray that you would give them the power to let go of the past, that you would give them hearts that are willing to put each other first, willing to love each like Jesus. And Lord, I pray that as they navigate conflict in their lives, Lord, that they would be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry with each other, that your grace would permeate their relationships, that your mercy would be present for them, Lord, that they would forgive each other. Lord, we need your spirit to do this work in us today so that we can begin to focus on the best in our spouse that we can see our marriages fixed, that we can see our marriages restored to where they were when we first fell in love. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you would say, Aaron, I'm not a Christ follower, then you can't do any of this without God. And today, you need to begin a relationship with him. You need to... Have his power at work in your life. And if that's you and you were here today, and you'd say, Aaron, I need to begin that relationship with him. I need to know how that works. Well, let me tell you something. You begin a relationship with God by acknowledging his son Jesus and all that he did for you in his life, death, and resurrection. And right now, you have that moment. You take advantage of that moment just by praying a prayer. Even if you don't know the words to it, I will give you the words. But if you want to be counted in on that prayer, I'm going to pray it in just a second. Would you just let me know that that's you? Say, Aaron, count me in on that prayer. Just shoot your hand up in the air right now. Do it now. Put your hand up. Those of you who are watching by Periscope or listening through the podcast, know I'm going to pray this prayer. And you can pray it out loud or you can pray it in your heart, but you just need to mean it. Pray, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you came to this earth, that you died for me, and that when you rose from the grave, you gave me the power to be transformed, to be forgiven. Make me brand new, Jesus. Be Lord of my life. Show me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day doing that. In Jesus' name, amen.